It's good to see you guys here today. Hey, let's do something really quick. Uh, a little bit quiet in here just for a moment, but let's change that up just for a second. Hey, would you look at the person in front of you, left, right, and behind you, and just tell them, hey, I'm glad you're here. Could you do that for me just one time? Just do that. Welcome somebody in here tonight, this morning. All right, I said welcome. Let's not have conversations now. Joshua chapter number 7 is where we're going. Joshua chapter number 7. I see Hunter and Corey Graveman over here. I'm so thankful for them coming back to visit. I hope you love on them today. I was thinking, I saw you sitting over there just a second ago, and I was thinking about, uh, since last week was Easter, I was thinking about our Easter invite videos and Bob Ross and Little Debbie Swiss Cake Rolls and then I got to thinking about that one video we did where, uh, where I was in the rainwater. It was a Wednesday night, and everybody was like, it's going to pour. And we went in front of Concord Highlands, and I, and I got knee-deep down in the water. And CNN had just released that video where the, where the guy was, like, waist-deep, and then the guy walked behind him. You know what I mean? It was great. It was great. And, of course, then Hunter blurred out Justin's... Uh, backside a little bit and that was just it made the video even greater man we had some really good times hunter i'm so thankful for you Corey. i'm thankful for you y'all were such a blessing to this church your ministry still goes on so thankful for you so thankful for you like you can talk about people sometimes and you can you can talk about them in such a way where you sound very uh selfish so can I sound selfish just for a second like you guys was a major need in my life see how that sounds selfish what God provides and it was a need in my life and in my ministry for me to function and thrive we were already friends but then God brought you you two here and provided a need in my life. And I'm not meaning that selfishly. I'm giving God praise for that. Give God praise for that. Joshua chapter number 7. We're back in the book of Joshua. We have journeyed through this book. If you are visiting here today, maybe you were with us Easter morning and you decided to come back. And so we took a break from the book of Joshua. We're back in it this morning. We're going to read the first six verses and, uh, and so if you have that, let's read the Word of God together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. Or there's a Bible in front of you. should be a Bible in front of you that you can look at. Joshua chapter number 7. Let's read the Word of God. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, and he's a, he's a key figure in this. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Ai was small. 
So about 3,000 men went up here, from here, from there, from, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Lord God, bless the teaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in the same faith of the same God, and we're in the same faith walk as the people in Joshua's day. This is a snapshot of God's people during this time of walking by faith. People are walking by faith. Ninety years ago, a group of people met in a small convenience store right here in Rock Creek at Heitch's Grocery to begin to pray and talk about planting a church to reach the next generation. They wanted to reach their sons and daughters and neighbors and community and world. And as they talked and as they prayed, they wanted to plant a church for the sake of the gospel. They wanted to live in the promised land of their lives, and they believed that the promised land of their lives was pressing the kingdom forward right here, right here. And so they began to meet and pray, and ultimately they sold their chickens and the timber from their houses and farms in their farmland and got up enough money to build a church, to build a building. We are connected to them. They are connected to the previous generation. That generation is connected to the previous generation. Till ultimately we get down to Joshua 7 and this group of people who are walking by faith to live out the kingdom. This is their promised land. They have wandered for 40 years in the desert. And as you begin to see how God moves them into the promised land, you begin to see that they're walking by faith and they're seeing God do miracles and we see them live differently and they're marked differently. That was a fun passage of scripture to go through in chapter 5. They're marked differently in their bodies and they're living differently than all the people in the land of Canaan who worship false gods. And in turn, the God that they serve is different than the false gods of Canaan. And so Joshua 7 is a story, though. As they've walked by faith, now in their journey, we see that they're going to deal with sin. They're going to deal with a sin in a man's life by the name of Achan. If, you like, if you're like me, your story, your journey is marked by sinful decisions. And in those sinful decisions in my life, I have seen ugly consequences in my life for the decisions and the sin that I have made. Have you? Dr. Robert Smith Jr. used to say, when the scripture stinks, let it stink. And this isn't a fun scripture. This is a hard passage. It really smells bad for 2022 American noses today. Noses that we like to smell things that make God smell like he's good all of the time. And God is good all the time. We just interpret things wrongly at times. Two years ago, 
my dad and I began something new with Sawyer. Uh, the youth hunt was coming up, and I wanted to hunt deer with Sawyer. And so she was seven years old, and so we began to teach her to shoot a 22 rifle. Dad's got one with a scope on it. I don't have one with a scope on it. And so we wanted to get her used to shooting a 22 rifle with a scope. And so we began to carry her out in the woods and, and began to shoot at targets and shoot at different things. And, and it started off to where the target was really close to her. And then we would back it up to where she got really comfortable at shooting targets. And so we had a really good time. She, uh, she never thought that a gun actually has recoil. Okay. For her whole life, shooting a gun has been like shooting a BB gun, which she does that too. She got pretty good with that rifle, but on the youth hunt in the shooting house, it was my dad, Sawyer in the middle, and me on the end. Three generations having a blast. And on that youth hunt, we took that 22 rifle and didn't bring it that morning. We brought a 7mm 08 youth model version. A higher power rifle that had recoil. She had never shot it. If she would have practiced it, I was afraid that we wouldn't have gotten to the shoot house that day. But to make a long story short, she didn't shy away. She really didn't know what to anticipate. She didn't know to be anticipating anything. And she certainly didn't anticipate the kick of the gun. Her perception of shooting was based on a 22 rifle. But her perception was about to change with reality. The apparent, and this is, what I, this is what I'm bringing to the table right now, the apparent is not always true. Perception is not always reality. And I think with this text, perception is not the reality. Let me tell you what I mean by that. On the surface, it seems like this is a lesson on the pride of man. Can we put that on the screen? This is a lesson on the pride of man. And, and that makes for wonderful preaching. Achan has taken some of the devoted things that were a part of the previous chapter in Jericho, the first city. They went to Jericho in chapter 6. The battle plan was to walk around the city walls. They were not to say anything until the right time. And then when they were going to sing out or yell out the praises and the horns were going to go off and the trumpets were going to blow and then the walls were going to come down. And the battle plan really sounded absurd. Sometimes God leads you into things that are absurd to other people. Sometimes they're absurd to you. God, am I really supposed to do that? God, if I do that, everyone around me is going to think that I'm crazy. Sometimes God gives us those plans, and that's exactly what he did with them. And they walked around, and the walls fell. Now, they've gone to Ai. It's a smaller city, and they get defeated. It seems like on the surface, the perception when we read the text is that they forgot God. They went to Ai, it looks like, without even praying. Could it be a sermon point today about prayerlessness and pride? If you want to know if you're filled with pride, it's not when you go around necessarily saying, everybody look at me. 
Pride says, I don't need you, God. If you want to know if you're filled with pride, it's not that you say, I don't need you, God. I'm not sure I've ever said that. God, I don't need you. I don't think I've ever said that. But I have gone through seasons of prayerlessness. And in turn, a season of prayerlessness is looking at the Lord and saying, God, I got this. I'm the extraordinary. And really what you're saying is, Lord, I don't need your anointing this day. I can handle whatever the day holds. Do y'all hear the problem with that? This could be a sermon on prayerlessness, but I think it's really a a side point at best. Verse 3 appears to be prideful, doesn't it? Did you see that in the text? Uh, They sent the spies out. The spies come back and said, hey, Joshua, let's don't send all the folks up there, only two or 3,000. The city's small. It appears that verse 3 could be prideful. And I think on the surface, there's some truth in this thought process of pride that the enemy uses pride. It's 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 a counter to our faith in God. God, I got this. I got good friends. I got the education. I got the experience. I'm I'm good with the job. My family's good. I got my stuff. I like it like I like it. Everything around me's fine. Watch this. Got my kids baptized. Why do I need church now? I got it. We're good. We can move on. Uh, I even thought about this one. Maybe your kids are grown now. Empty nest syndrome is a big deal. Did y'all know that when we see empty nesters, we see a lot on empty nesters. Empty nesters fall away from church, fall away from the things of the Lord. Maybe that's where you are. My kids are grown. They're out of the house now. Why do I really even need this anymore? Why do I need the Lord? Maybe you're not thinking that explicitly. But but I think you could talk about pride for a second. But I think it's just really a side point. Because I think chapter 7 in the text is about the judgment of God. That the people aren't fighting against Ai. They're really fighting, pushing against the judgment of God. And and they, they don't even realize it. And I think particularly with unbelievers, unbelievers are fighting, headbutting against the judgment of God and they don't even see it in their lives. I believe this is the greater theme of chapter 7 that the author is trying to point out to us in chapter 7 that, that, that judgment of the Lord is the theme. And we don't really like to talk about that very much. But if we read the whole chapter, what we're going to see is the judgment of the Lord on the front end and the back end. It bookends the chapter. Verse 1, it says the anger of the Lord burned against them. I would not want the anger of the Lord to burn against me, by the way. Verse 1, that's what it says there in the text. And then you can look at verses 25 and 26, and you can see the judgment on Achan and his family when this sin comes out in Achan's life. His family's actually judged in that, and they are stoned to death. What's interesting is in verse 26 is that they take Achan and his family, they bury them in a place called the Valley of Acre, which is a play on Achan's name. Hang tight on the Valley of Acre because we're going to go somewhere in a minute on that. So they bury them in the Valley of Acre after they stoned them to death and they piled up rocks on them in the Valley of Acre. You can see that in verse 26. And and watch this. It looks like the language in verse 26, 
echoes, watch this, don't miss this. It looks like the language in verse 26 of, 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 a, of a pile of rocks echoes the language in chapter 4 when they crossed the sea, the, the Jordan River, and they made a monument out of stone there. And, and, and when they built that monument, Joshua said, or the Lord said, hey, build this monument so that no one forgets what I've done right here on behalf of you. Y'all remember that passage where they build a stone of remembrance? They build this monument of stones? Well, well, verse 26 of chapter 7 echoes that. So watch this. It's almost like God tells the people to build a monument of stones to remember the good thing that he did. And now in chapter 7, they're building stones of remembrance to remember the judgment of God. So judgment bookends the passage. The greatest threat in this passage is not AI. The greatest passage or the greatest threat in this passage is verse 12. We didn't read verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. Look what the, look what the word says. I know some of you are sleepy. I'm watching your eyes. Wake up. Listen to me. This is good. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The greatest threat in this judgment idea is verse 12. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. The Lord is speaking here. The Lord says, that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. Look at the threat right here. Look at the threat. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. The greatest threat in the judgment of God in this passage is the idea that God is saying, Hey Israel, you're on your own. Can you feel the weight of that? If God were to look at you and say, you're on your own. Years ago, there was a man that called Justin Salter and I. Not in the notes now, we're off the page. He began to talk to us about his marriage, about his failing marriage. He began to talk to us about his girlfriend on the side. He began to talk to us about how that woman, the girlfriend on the side, gave him a lot of joy. And that he earnestly believed that in his marriage, this woman on the side allowed him to have joy and that God placed her there. So we began to listen to that and tried to refute and listen and tried to refute. But the conversation kind of closed when the man wanted us to pray over his new relationship with his girlfriend. God never blesses sin. And so, the idea that God walks with me closely through my sin, it's a hard, head-scratching idea. Can you imagine if God looked at you and said, you're on your own. That scares me. Do you know how scary it would be to wake up in the morning and think that I'm in control? That if I take God out of the equation, that I'm in control of my family? 
I'm in control of my wife. That I'm in control of my children, the decisions they make. That I'm in control of this church. That I'm in control of everything about who I am. The longer that I live, you know what I realize? I really can't control nothing. For the old song is true. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't really control anything. I I came through the house early this morning and my children were asleep and Sam was in his bed and it was a little cool in the house. It felt fantastic and he's snuggled up. You could tell he's cold and I was looking at him and I was looking at Sawyer. She was in her bed. No, 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 no. She was, she was in the bed with Aaron and uh, she gets in the bed with Aaron about 3 a.m. Sam's got to have his bed, but she gets in the bed with Aaron about 3 a.m. I move. I'm a mover at night. I start in the bed and move the couch and then hang out on the couch. So that's, that's how we sleep at the house. And so I walk through the house early in the morning. I begin to pray over my children. And I was praying over the decisions that they may make one day, the decisions that they will make one day. I was praying over their spouses. I was praying over uh, uh, God keep them, uh, keep them from uh, uh, making terrible decisions here and terrible decisions here. And, and, and the longer that I live, and I'm just picking out one thing with children, but I could talk about church this morning. The longer that I live, the more I see that, that, that I need God in everything in my life. This is about the judgment of God. It's hard to deal with. Power said it last week, a lost person stands on their own. If you don't know Christ, you stand on your own and you'll stand before the Lord one day and you will speak on your own. Believers won't speak. Jesus will be the attorney. He'll be the mediator. But you will speak. You will stand on your own. It'll be scary. It'll be a scary moment. You won't make it on your own. Judgment is the theme because sin is taken so lightly. We tend to trivialize sin. Even this sin uh, in Achan's life, what's the big deal? I mean, good grief, he kept some spoils from the Battle of Jericho. If you look at the text, he kept some uh, uh, gold and silver and, and I think a purple robe in there. He kept that back. He buried it in his tent. What's the big deal? I mean, I, I mean, why is God so mad over such little? This is what we think about sin. We think other people's sin is bad, but we trivialize our own. Why is God so mad over some gold and silver? Well, this particular sin goes back to the fact that Jericho was the first city. The first fruits is always devoted to God. And Jericho was the first city. It was supposed to be devoted to the Lord, consecrated to the Lord. He asked for this. God asked for Jericho to be his, everything in it to be his. And so the sin, when Achan, you got to think about it, here's Achan, he's wandered for 40 years, he probably smells, he probably has dirty clothes, the guy's never had a house to live in, this man goes into a rich, fortified city and sees everything for the taking, and temptation gets him. And so the sin really is, is, is Achan looking at God and saying, you have not been good enough for me. I want what belongs to you. And so the sin is robbing God. 
sin gets outside of God's boundaries that he lays out for us. And sin says, God, I don't think what you have for me is good here. I want to move outside of the boundaries. And there ain't one person here that has ever stayed in the boundaries. The sin was telling God, I don't trust you to provide I'm going to do this on my own. And so what God is saying is that that I want to be your first. And you didn't abide by that. Can you imagine all of this coming to light? Story talks about it. They went tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, until they found Achan. Sin has a tendency to take what belongs to God and to use it selfishly. And most of the time we trivialize the sin in our life. And because of that, judgment comes not just on Achan, but also it comes on the people of God for they lost the battle in Ai. There's a side point here that could be preached. i got to just bypass it for a second. But the side point is this, your sin always affects somebody. Always. And the list of people that this sin affects is really long. 36 people die over this one sin, including his family. Makes me think as a husband and a father, me walking with God is essential to the success of my family. If I want my wife to thrive, i got to walk with God as a husband. doesn't mean I thumb her and lord over her. It means I serve her and wash her feet. Jesus washes our feet. He's our master, right? If I want my children to thrive, it means that I have to serve God and and be right with God and walk with God, or otherwise my children are going to say a lousy father that does not walk with the Lord. And what are the consequences of that in a family? Some of us have lived that. Some of us have seen that, what it's like to have a dysfunctional family because of a sinful mom or a sinful dad. And and the Bible is saying that our sin affects people. And ultimately, the Bible is going to speak about judgment. We can't get around it. We don't really like the idea of judgment. We certainly don't like the idea of eternal judgment. We don't like it because we really don't think we sin that bad. They sin bad, but not me. Everyone in prison that you think is a terrible sinner, you've at least thought about it. And because we don't think we sin that bad, we really don't think that God is that holy. And that you can go to heaven based off the fact that you're really not that bad. There are people all over this community who think they're going to heaven because not only are they not that bad, they think they're really good. We don't like judgment because we don't understand how a loving God could send someone to hell. That's eternal judgment. Jesus refers to eternal judgment in the New Testament. 32 times the New Testament refers to hell as a place of fire. A place and and fire going together 32 times. Four times it's referred to a place of torment. 
The word torment has four, has three usage, three meanings, the word torment in the New Testament. It can refer to a painful disease in reference to hell. A painful disease, it refers to a torture device used to stretch a body over some uh, uh, piercing object. So they would stretch someone's body over a piercing object and keep stretching that body until those piercing objects, knives or whatever, would, uh, uh, would slice into that body and kill them. Or it can refer to a place that's so hot that it melts metal. We live in a time where people don't want to talk about hell, that they can utterly deny hell. And I'm not sure that I would love anybody today if I preached on Joshua 7 and didn't talk about the judgment of God being real. For unbelievers, the judgment of God is real. They will stand before a holy God one day. and They will give an account for what they did with the gospel. There are people who deny the existence of hell. They think that believers go to heaven and that everyone else is just annihilated. There are people who think that everyone will be there one day eventually. And then there are people who think that everyone goes there immediately when they die. Really all over the spectrum. The Bible says that there is a point at a time for man to die and then comes the judgment. We will stand before the Lord. Joshua 7 speaks toward that. It's scratching my head and looking at this text going, I don't like to preach this, but it's in the text, Lord, and we are going to speak the truth this morning. But in God's judgment, I don't want us to miss this. The Lord gives mercy to Joshua and the people. Look at verse 13 with me. The Lord says, go consecrate the people and tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. The word consecrate means that, means that we are to set aside. They were to set aside and become, uh, make their hearts holy. They were to dedicate their hearts to the Lord. It means to set aside or be separate. Just as the Lord is holy, the Lord was saying, tell the people to set themselves aside, to consecrate themselves, to do some repentant work. To talk to him, to get their hearts right with God. And in this, the Lord gives grace. Now, I know if you're like me and you heard a preacher talking about grace and mercy, you would say, well, AI, I mean, well, Achan didn't get much grace and mercy. And all I can say back to you is, you're right. You're right. He didn't. And I look at the text and I say, I've been aching. I am him. I've robbed God of his glory. I've held back from devoted things that God has wanted. And why hasn't God called me to be stoned to death? And all I can say to that is, the grace of the Lord. Our 2022 American mindset is well, that's not fair. And all I can say back to is that the righteous, good, just judge had allowed Achan 
to see things in his life that me and you have never dreamed of. And Achan chose to sin against the Lord. And a just, righteous, good God said, not this time. Why doesn't he do that with us? Jesus. And this is where the sermon is going to wind down. And I got to tell you, for those that aren't believers and think they're saved, this gets dangerous, what I'm about to preach for you. Because if you think you're saved and you're not saved, then you will think that your sin is okay. But if you're here this morning and you're a believer and you know you're saved and you or me are living in sin, then we look and hear about the goodness and grace of the Lord and it causes us to repent of our sin and turn to Him. I want to look at something really quick. I think this is fantastic because the Valley of Acre which is in verse 26, pops up again. And I want to show it to you. I'm going to wind this thing down. In fact, just to keep me at my word, guys, come on up here. Let's wind this thing down. The Valley of Acre shows up again. It shows up in Hosea chapter 2. Will you turn there with me, Hosea? It's a, it, one, of the, one of the minor prophets. Uh, flip on over past Psalms. Keep going to the right a few books. Uh, um, it's right before Hosea, Joel. It's right before the book of Joel. If you're in Amos, you've gone too far. Go back left. It's between Psalms, right after Daniel, right after Daniel. Go to Hosea chapter 2. We'll have this on the screen as well. The Valley of Acre pops back up. This is, this is incredible to me. The Valley of Acre, the word Acre means trouble. So they, they kill Achan, they lay him in this valley, they put all these stones on top of him where they bury him. It's supposed to be stones of remembrance. It's the same language used there that was in chapter 4 uh, with this miracle of the parting of the, the Red Sea and so uh, or the Jordan River. It's the same language. So now this is a, a, a stones of memorial for the judgment of God. God is saying... Remember me when I provided for you. Remember me when you walked in sin. Hosea chapter number 2 verse 14 begins to speak of a time when the Lord is going to pull his people out of judgment. Hosea is a prophet and he has been called to marry Gomer which I always think of Gomer Pyle every time I read this and Hosea marries Gomer the thing about Gomer is she's a prostitute and God tells Hosea go buy her spend the money and not only does Hosea go by her, but he falls in love with her. And it's such a sad story because, because Hosea loves her, but she really doesn't love Hosea back. In fact, she's in love with other men and leaves Hosea and goes to be sold again to another man. 
God tells Hosea, go buy her again. Can you imagine that? What a laughing stock he would have been as a preacher. Who would want to go to his church? That dude's so weak. His wife told him she don't want him. And, and, and he went back down there and bought her again because he loves her. That's the weakest guy I've ever seen. Folks probably said that about him. See, sometimes what God tells people to do seems dumb, especially to those that ain't walking with God. Hosea goes back down and he buys his wife again and he brings her home. And the Lord is teaching Hosea what the relationship is like between himself and his bride. That, that Hosea is the Lord, or the Lord is Hosea, and Gomer is us. We are Gomer. We love other men. And God, who is rich in mercy and rich in grace, goes back to the auction block and buys us again, and again, and again, and again. In fact, through New Testament lenses, through Christ-colored glasses, Jesus pays the final debt and buys us. There's something interesting about the valley of Acre, where Achan and his family are buried. There's something interesting. The word Acre there means trouble. The valley of trouble. It certainly was a valley of trouble. But look what the Lord says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. He says, therefore, I'm going to allure her. Who? His bride, us, the church, his people, Israel. He's going to allure her, call her. He's going to lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. This is wonderful love language. God's going to whisper sweet nothings into his bride's ear. He's going to love on her. Verse 15, And there I will give her back her vineyards. By the way, there are vineyards that he destroyed in verse 12. God gives them back. It looks like vineyards are going to be in the desert, by the way. I think this has wonderful implications for when Jesus comes back. Everybody that was in our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about Christ coming back. I think all of this talks about the new heaven and the new earth. That there will be no desert on the earth anymore. The, the vineyard will be in the desert, verse 15. And then we'll, look at this. The Lord says, and I will make the valley of Acre. He's referencing Joshua 7. The Lord says, I will make the valley of Acre where Achan sinned, where Achan took the devoted things for me, and I poured out my judgment on the nation, and I poured out my judgment on Israel and, and Achan, and they buried him in Acre, the valley of trouble. I'm going to make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Now That's beautiful. That the Lord for his people... And for Israel one day, and you can read on down through here what he's going to do for Israel. The Lord is going to take the valley of trouble and spit it around and cause a door of hope to come about. Now, is this fulfilled in Christ today? You better believe it. Is it going to be fulfilled even more when he comes? You better believe it. Have you ever been in the valley of trouble because of your own sin? I certainly have. Powers, we sang just a minute ago about the Lord never leaving us nor forsaking us. He walks with us. I don't remember what song that was. We sang about it. Why does he threaten his people in Joshua 7? I ain't going to be with you no more. Why doesn't he do that with us? Why isn't he doing that with me? Jesus. 
We're living in, 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 the, in the new covenant. The Spirit of God has come. He walks with us. He guides us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. See, the Lord has brought us into the new covenant. And He is with you and walks with you if you're a believer. Now here's the good news. Do we deserve judgment? Yes. But the good news is, is that Christ Jesus took your judgment and took your place on the cross. There prior to the cross, Joshua 7, we're on this side of the cross. We're looking back at the cross and we're saying glory to God for the cross because the cross was the place where the judgment of God was poured out on our behalf, on the Son, so that we don't experience judgment. Guess what we experience? Life, joy, peace. Patience, goodness, kindness. We experience the life that the Lord offers and that the Lord brings to us. So that when I walk through the valley of trouble, the Lord gives me a door of hope. That's the goodness of God today. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're standing on your own. And all you have to do is run to the Lord to get out of the judgment. That's it. That's it. Run to the Lord. Repent. Run to Him. That's it. That is it. I believe in church membership. Church membership don't get you out of judgment. Run to the Lord in your prayer. God, I'm here. Forgive me. Run to the Lord. Who can be saved? Anybody. I don't care what you've done or how many times you've done it. The Lord can save you. The valley of trouble can be a door of hope. And if you're here today and you are found in Christ, you better rejoice because you and me should be like Achan, killed. But Jesus took our judgment. Father God, I pray for anyone in this place that does not know you. Father, would today be the day of salvation? We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.